Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm on again with Mom. Hello. And we're back to The Hobbit, Chapter 15, The Gathering of the Clouds. So this is right after a smog was killed after attacking Lake Town. Bilbo and the dwarves um, have just escaped from the front gate of the mountain. And the Elven King and some of his people have um, brought help to the men of Lake Town who are hungry and cold and in little makeshift huts by the shore of the lake at the beginning of winter. Um, Bilbo and company do not know about the demise of smog yet. Um, so the chapter starts off that, um, Bilbo and the dwarves are noticing a lot more birds about, um, including crows from the mountain, and Thorne thinks this is strange because it's not the time for migration, you know, that's done already. And, um, yeah, as far as I know, crows actually don't migrate for the winter. At least I've seen enough of them. The crows hung around the mountain, but the other birds were gathering from the south. Um, Yeah, they're also getting starlings and finches and... Um... There was an old thrush that they'd seen before. And he would um, keep singing and cocking his head as if he was listening. And Balin thought that the thrush was probably trying to tell him something, but he can't follow its language. And Bilbo can't either. He says he can't follow it very well, but the truth is he can't follow it at all. Um... And Balin says that he wishes this was a raven, and Bilbo says, I thought you didn't like ravens, you seemed very shy of them when we'd come this way before, and Balin's like, those weren't ravens, those were crows, and nasty, suspicious-looking creatures, and rude, and you must have heard the ugly names they were calling after us. Um, I didn't remember any uh, mention of the crows um, speaking anything intelligible, but, uh, Balin must have thought they were. That the ravens are different, and they have great friendship between them and the people of Thor, and that they often brought secret news, and they were rewarded with bright things for them to hide in their dwellings. And they live a long time, they have long memories, and they pass on their wisdom to their children, and he knew many of the ravens when he was a dwarf lad. And the place, the height that they're on is called Raven Hill. And there was a wise and famous pair, Old Kark and his wife, that lived in the guard chamber. But he doesn't suppose there any of that ancient breed are still there. I think this is actually... Uh, with a bit of, um, fantasy exaggeration, I think this is pretty accurate for Corvids, the whole thing with, oh, they like shiny, that's a thing with both crows and ravens, they like to collect shiny things, and, um, it's pretty well known that there are people that, um, birds have traded shiny things for, um, food, yeah, I've I've seen some interesting stories about even a boy doing that, and he and this raven had a real thing going for. And the part about the ravens passing on knowledge to their children. Um, I don't know if this is true of ravens. It probably is, but crows. 
can learn if a particular person is, for example, mean to them, and they tell other crows that have never met this person about it, so like generations of crows will be like, oh, I don't like you. Now, what was the bird that visited with Dave? That was a raven. A raven. Um, yeah, we have a friend who uh, has a friendship with a raven, and... Uh, it it likes to go to his fishing spot, and... Uh, uh, I've seen a picture where this raven is kind of like putting its beak at his nose. Uh, yeah, it's a... Very personable raven. I I haven't personally met this raven. I'd like to one day, but... That and go fishing there. Yeah. Well, anyway, the thrush must have understood what Balin was saying because it flew off and it came back with an ancient, partially blind, could hardly fly doesn't have feathers on top of its head anymore, Raven. This Raven was 153 years old. And the Raven um, actually greets them in human language, not bird speech. O Thorin, son of Thrain, and Balin, son of Fundin, I am Roak, son of Kark. Kark is dead, but he was well known to you once. It is a hundred years and three and fifty since I came out of the egg, but I did not forget what my father told me. Now I am the chief of the great ravens of the mountain. We are few, but we remember still the king that was of old. Most of my people are abroad, but there are great tidings in the south. For there are great tidings in the south. Some are tidings of joy to you, and some you will not think so good. And... Behold, the birds are gathering back again to the mountain and to Dale from south and east and west, for word has gone out that Smog is dead. You see, this is the first the dwarves have heard that Smog is dead. And they're overjoyed that they have no more to fear. The treasure is theirs, and they're like dancing around with joy. And Roak tells them that the thrush... Um, saw him die, and that they can trust him. And he fell in battle with the men of Eskaroth. And so the tre- and the treasure is theirs for the moment. Um, but the the death of the dragon's news has gone far and wide. And a host of elves is on their way. And the lake men are murmuring that their sorrows are due to the dwarves and, you know, they're homeless and a lot of them have died and they would like some treasure too. Carrion birds are with them hoping for battle and slaughter. Um... And um, the raven says to them that um, to Thorn, that your own wisdom must decide your course, but thirteen is a small remnant, and um, he should, when he talks to the lakemen, he should trust the um, bard who shot the dragon down with his bow, and not the master of the lakemen. And the the ravens would like to see peace between dwarves and men and elves after the long desolation, but it may cost them a lot in gold. And that makes Thorn angry. He does thank the raven for, you know, giving him this information. But, uh... He also says, none of our gold shall thieves take while the violent carry off while we are all alive, and if um, the raven would like to earn even more of their thanks, um, it should send younger ravens to fly to the mountains in the north and west to, and east 
to his cousin Dane in the Iron Hills and um, get him to send some well-armed, you know, dwarves their way. And bid him haste. Now, a bit more about ravens. The part where they are speaking in human speech. Um, it probably does... It may not necessarily mean that in this story, because there's other birds that can talk also, like the eagles. But actual ravens can learn to mimic human speech just like parrots. Which means uh, they don't understand what they're saying or they only semi-understand by context what they're saying. It's not the same. But it's kind of cool detail to have in here. And it comes across a little creepy that the birds in this series have language and are a bit more sapient, so to speak. But they still want to eat the fallen after a battle. And being the kind of setting that this is where it sounds like it's um, kind of based on Europe, carrion birds that would probably include ravens and crows and uh, maybe eagles. I still think that the Middle Earth eagles are probably above that, but I don't know. So the dwarves, they're they're trying to fortify the entrance to the Dragon Mountain. The place that they'd gone in through, the secret door that's still smashed in, they can't use it. And all the other gates um, had long been broken and blocked by smog. So all they had left was that main entrance. Um, and while they were working, the ravens brought them constant tidings, and they learned that the elven king had turned aside to the lake, um, and the best news was that they heard that three of their ponies had escaped and were wandering wild far down the banks of the running river not far from where the rest of their stores had been left behind at the edge of the river. And so they sent uh, Keely and Feely, guided by a raven, to find the ponies and bring back all that they could. And Keely and Feely did that. Um, And they were were gone four days doing this. they brought back food. Most of it was cram, you know, hard tack, not delicious, um, but it, it lasts. And, and they're starting to build up a, a stones at the gate. And once they, Keely and Feely had returned with the stores, um, the ponies were released to go back to their own homes, you know, so they they went when they went home riderless basically or at least that was the hope. Yeah, you think they really went home because they didn't go home when they uh, escaped and were running wild. Right, but the assumption is they. The assumption is they actually went home. Some horses would and some wouldn't. Uh. Well, maybe they're more apt to do what they're supposed to, not having the dragon around anymore. And um, Balin is actually starting to see lights and torches um, in the area of Dale. And these are all 
um, the camp of men and elves approaching them. And the dwarves aren't sleeping so good, and... Uh, in the morning, they see a company approach them. And they were surprised to see that the dwarves had already put, you know, stone blocks up at the gate area. And Thorn calls down to them, Who are you that come as if in war to the gates of Thorn, son of Thrain, king under the mountain, and what do you desire? And they didn't answer. Some of them turned back. And the others gazed for a while at the gate and its defenses and then soon followed them. They were a scouting party. They were there to see what they were up against. And these they still probably thought the dwarves had all been killed by the dragon before it came to them. They weren't expecting to find them still alive, let alone any kind of fortifications and um, they they moved their the men and elves moved their camp up um, east of the river, right between the arms of the mountain, and there there's you can hear them and their voices and their singing and the elves are playing elven harps, and Bilbo wishes he could get out of the fortress and go and join them and eat food and. Um, some of the younger dwarves, so this would probably be Feely and Keely at the very least, and I'm not sure which others were also. They, um, wished it was otherwise, and, um, they could welcome the elves and men as friends at Thornscald. And dwarves brought out harps too to play for Thorin, and they sung a song that was very similar to the Misty Mountains uh, song they sung back at the Hobbit Hall. Under the mountain dark and tall, the king has come unto his hall. His foe is dead, the worm of, the worm of dread, and ever so his foe shall fall. The sword is sharp, the spear is long, the arrow swift, the gate is strong. The heart is bold that looks on gold. The dwarves no more shall suffer wrong. The dwarves of yore made mighty spells, while hammers fell like ringing bells in places deep where dark things sleep, in hollow halls beneath the fells. On silver necklaces they strung, the light of stars on crowns they hung, the dragon fire from twisted wire, the melody of harps they rung, the mountain throne once more is freed, O wandering folk, the summons heed, come haste, come haste across the waste. The king of friend and kin has need, now call we over mountains cold, come back unto the caverns old. Here at the gates the king awaits, his hands are rich with gems and gold. The king has come unto his hall, under the mountain dark and tall. The worm of dread is slain and dead, and ever so our foes shall fall. I wish I had the right kind of voice to do this justice singing this. I uh, wasn't going to even try here. Not even sure what the tune would be. Well, I, I think that the adaptations I've seen are about right. Okay. Uh, um, there's a YouTube channel, Clamavi de Profundus, that has a really excellent cover of this. And um, they actually sing the whole song all the verses um both the begin beginning at um Bilbo's house and this stuff and um there was more at Bjorn's yeah they have the whole thing in order well this song appeared to please Thorin and he smiled again and grew merry and he began reckoning the distance to the Iron Hills, and how long it would be before Dane could reach the Lonely Mountain if he set out as soon as the message reached him. 
Now, Bilbo's heart fell at the song, both at the song and the talk, because they sounded much too warlike. Which they do. Yeah. Um, and the next morning, a company of spearmen um, crosses the river and marches up the valley toward them. And they're carrying the banner, the green banner of the Elven King and the blue banner of the lake. And they come up right up to the wall at the gate, and Thorin hails them again. Who are you that come armed for war to the gates of Thorin, son of Thrain, king under the mountain? And a tall man stands forward, with dark of hair and grim of face. And, um, this is Bard. And he says, Hail, Thorin, why do you fence yourself like a robber in his hold? We are not yet foes, and we rejoice that you are alive beyond our hope. We came expecting to find none living here, Yet now that we are met, there is matter for a parley and a council. And Thorin asks, who are you, and of what would you parley? And um, Bard says, he gives his name and says, he was the one who killed the dragon and delivered their treasure. And isn't that a matter that concerns them? And he is descended from the heir of Girion of Dale. And in the dragon horde is um, a lot of the wealth that was... Taken from halls. men of Dale, and in the last battle, the dragon destroyed the homes of the lake men, and he still works for the master of Lake Town, and would speak for him and ask if they have any thought for you know, the misery of the lake men who helped them when they needed help, and got back only you know, dragon destruction even if they doubtless didn't intend that. And Bilbo thought Thorin would um, agree with these words. I think the the draw and the greed of the gold and the treasure had affected Thorin yeah, it had, um, it really isn't portrayed the way it is in the movies where, um, I guess kind of implied that there's, you know, a lure of gold that a dragon's been on too long, but, you know, the movies really got into that. And also the implication that there's some hereditary gold lust in Thorne's family. And I don't think that was um, really intended beyond uh, dwarves in general like gold and, well, people in general like gold too, but dwarves more so. And another bit that doesn't come into this book is Thorin's both father and um, grandfather before him had a ring of power. It wasn't the same as Bilbo's, but one effect of the ring is it made the dwarf who carried it both acquire gold more easily and have more greed for it. It didn't turn them invisible. And part of it was because dwarves have a partial resistance to the magic of it. But as, you know, not, all of this is just background stuff to the story. None of this is, almost none of this is directly talked about. Now, Thorin did say that the price of the goods and the assistance that they received from the lake men, they would fairly pay in due time. But nothing will we give, not even a loaf's worth, under threat of force. While our armed host lies before our doors, we look at you as foes and thieves. And um, 
Yeah. Then he went on to say, it is my mind to ask what share of their inheritance you would have paid to our kindred had you found the horde unguarded and us slain. And Baird replied, a just question, but you are not dead and we are not robbers. Moreover, the wealthy may have pity beyond right on the needy that befriended them when they were in want, and still my other claims remain unanswered. And Thorin said, I will not parley, as I have said, with armed men at my gate, not at all with the people of the elven king, whom I remember with small kindness. If you remember correctly, they were prisoners of the elven king, not guests. Um, anyhow, in this debate, they have no place. Be gone now, ere our arrows fly. And if you would speak with me again, first dismiss the elvish host to the woods where it belongs, and then return laying down your arms before you approach the threshold. And um, the response was, the elven king is my friend. He has... Succored... Succored... Um, the people of the lake and their need and um, they had no claim but friendship on him answered Bard we'll, we'll give you time to repent your words gather your wisdom ere we return then he departed and went back to the camp and many hours were passed and the banner bearers returned and trumpeters stood forth and blew a blast um, but this return of uh, the banner bearers and trumpeters and, and such, uh, Thorin seized a bow of horn and shot an arrow at the speaker. It went into a shield and stuck there quivering. Oh, there you go. He fired the first shot. Yeah. So the response was, since such is your answer, I declare the mountain besieged. You shall not depart from it until you call on your side for a truce and a parley. We will bear no weapons against you, but we leave you to your gold. You may eat that if you will. Um, yes, remember that the the dwarves only have, you know, as they have hardtack that um, the pony carried, but that's still not going to feed that many for very long. I believe they may have had weeks worth uh, in the scheme of things. Not but most not sieges much. last longer than that. And uh, anyhow, Bilbo's thinking this. The whole place still stinks of dragon, he grumbled to himself. It makes me sick, and cram is beginning to simply stick in my throat. So... And most of the dwarves are seeming to agree with Thorn, except for perhaps Bomber, Feely, and Keely. Um, I get the impression that the three of them are kind of the more reasonable of the dwarves in general. Less. Since since that happened, uh, now we've come to the end of chapter fifteen and beginning the chapter the, sixteen, a thief in the night. Oh, before I go on to chapter sixteen, I guess I'll just say, I kind of see both sides to this. On the one, yeah, the lake men lost their homes, and they did help the dwarves, and they did kill the dragon, and I would think. It would be just common decency to, at the very least, help them in their, like, give them enough gold to, I don't know, buy, buy more food and um, supplies to rebuild new homes if they need stuff beyond the wood they can cut. 
And, well, they are besieging Thorin, armed under threat to give the gold. You know, from Thorin's perspective, that's... It's an impending battle that it's like neither side is wholly in the right or in the wrong here. And obviously they, nobody really wants to battle, otherwise it wouldn't be, we're going to just camp out outside your camp gate. Camp outside and wait for you to run out of food. So you will parley with us, as opposed to, we have more people than you do. We are, you know, we're armed for battle if need be. Um, but the, the days you know how many of pass. us and only thirteen of you. Sorry, fourteen with Bilbo. Um, well, the next chapter, chapter. Um, 16, A Thief in the Night. The days are passing slowly and wearily. The dwarves are spending a lot of time piling and ordering their treasure, which I don't think is exactly the best use of their time under siege, but it is... Well, part of the treasure was, you know, armor and such like that. So if they're also... Putting that in order, that's not a bad thing if you're expecting a war. Uh, yeah, they have armor, they have dwarf-forged um, weaponry in there. Um, and Thorne is still looking for his Arkenstone of his father, which he says is worth more than a river of gold in itself, and for him it's beyond price. Now, this is something Thorne had not spoken out loud about. He had been looking for it, but this he actually spoke of it to the others and bade them to look for it in every corner. And he says, the stone of all the treasure I name unto myself and I will be avenged on anyone who finds it and withholds it. Uh, as you may remember, Bilbo did find it and was indeed secretly holding it. He was using it as part of his pillow. Wrapped up in a Tattered oddments. But even even when he knew that Thorin had said that, he still did not say anything to Thorin. But he did have fear about things. You know, if Thorin found it, or if any of them found it. Um, but... He started working up a plan in his little head, <laughs> uh, not my words, uh, but he did not speak of it. Now, another side tangent here. Uh, I've wondered this ever since I was a kid. Uh, it says that the Arkenstone was the heart of the mountain. Does that imply that other mountains may have had an Arkenstone in the middle. I mean, I know this is hardly realistic geology here, but what do you think? I don't know. I mean, possibly, but... Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. yeah. Well, do other dwarves live in mountains? Like... Oh, they live in mountains. They... Um... This is the one and only place where there is one isolated mountain not near other mountains that have dwarves in it. The others live in mountain ranges and mostly underground, if that's what... Oh, I'm just wondering if if other dwarves have found such things or if, you know... Well, there's no mention of anything... Um, it's left to our imagination, maybe. And, um, so yeah, Bilbo makes up his mind while it's night, the sky is dark, they don't even have the moon. And 
he gets from his bundle a rope and hence the Arkenstone wrapped in a rag. There's there's one thing to bring up first though, is that um Oh yes. The Ravens had brought news that Dane and more than five hundred dwarves were now within two days march of Dale. Um So they came pretty promptly when the young Ravens brought the the message to them. And uh, how are you going to feed all this dwarf army? Um, Winter and snow will bite both men and elves, and they may find their dwelling in the waste grievous to bear. Is Thorin's uh, reaction to that. With my friends behind them and winter upon them, they will perhaps be in a softer mood to parley with. Oh, yeah, the dwarves are at least indoors, so to speak. They're not camping out in the valley with nothing but ruins to maybe... Well, there's plenty of ruins inside the mountain, too, Uh, but... uh, But inside, in a cave, you know, the temperatures tend to be pretty even, at least going by real life. Yeah. Um... Anyhow, all the same. Yeah, and Bomber is on watch, and Bomber says it's mighty cold, and he wishes that he could have a fire. Um, Well, he's uh, right at the entrance, and uh, Bilbo is like it's warm enough inside, um, but um, Bomber says he can't leave his watch until midnight, and Bilbo offers to take. His watch for him, so he could go inside, warm up, sleep, and that Bilbo would wake him in time for midnight, so Bomber could then pass on to the next dwarf, and you know, and say, "Okay, it's time for your watch," you know, and nobody'd be the wiser that they had uh, switched places uh, for. Uh, this length of time. I guess it's probably a few hours. Um, and Bomber is actually... He's not ready to openly disagree with Thorin. May his beard grow ever longer, as he says it. But Thorin was ever the dwarf with a stiff neck, so Bomber is not happy about this... Um, this even happening... You know, when Bomber's gone, Bilbo puts on the ring and uh, fastens the rope, uses it to climb down from the wall, and he's got about five hours to get this done before he has to go wake Bomber. And it says Bomber could, uh, Bomber could sleep at any time, and he was still trying to get back those beautiful dreams he had while... Knocked out from the magic river in the forest. And all the other dwarves were busy with Thorn. And so it was unlikely that anybody was going to notice what he was up to. And so he's uh, following the road uh, next to the stream. Uh, he, he climbs has, down to the lower course of the stream. He has to ford it. In the winter, it's cold. Oh, I sometimes go wading in cold water in December, but most people would not want to do that. And Well, Bilbo lost his footing, <laughs> and I, I can totally identify with that because I have walked... You know, I wear, like, sandals in the water, and, yeah, I've stepped on something slippery, whether it be a rock or a mossy, slimy surface of a rock. If you've ever actually tried to walk across, you know, a stony stream bed, whether it's cold water or not, it's really pretty slippery, and there's moss and detritus on the rocks, and so he slipped. Got wet, and um, he scrambles out on the far bank all shivering, and um, 
some elves come with lanterns. And they're like, that wasn't a fish. Um, we've got to spy about, um, hide the lights because they're going to help, um, the spy more than it's going to help them. If it is that queer little creature that is said to be their servant, and Bilbo hears that, servant indeed. And then he sneezes. They, the elves hear the sneeze and, uh, they gather towards the sound. And Bilbo says, let's... Let's have a light. I am here if you want me. And he takes off the ring and comes out from behind the rock and they grab him right away and ask him who he is and is he the dwarf's hobbit and what is he doing? Now they they know the word hobbit. That's kind of... It seems like something they wouldn't necessarily know about. Maybe the lake men told them. Sure, I would think so. Anyhow, Bilbo answers, I'm Mr. Bilbo Baggins, companion of Thorin, if you want to know. I know your king well by sight, though perhaps he doesn't know me to look at. Uh, but Bard will remember me, and it is Bard that I particularly want to see. Indeed, said they. But what may be your business? Whatever it is, it's my own, my good elves. But if you wish ever to get back to your own woods from the cold, this cold, cheerless place, he answered shiveringly, you will take me along quickly to a fire where I can dry, and then you will let me speak to your chiefs as quick as may be. I have only an hour or two to spare. Um... So, yeah, he gets to sit by the fire wrapped in an old blanket. Um, now, it had taken him two hours to get that far out of the five hours he had. So He's got he, about an hour to talk with them, and then he's got two, two hours, hours to, get, to back. get back. So, he didn't have... He said he only had an hour or two to spare, and really it was an hour. Um... So, he says that he's tired of this whole affair. He wants to be back in the West in his own fo home where folk are more reasonable. And he has an interest in the matter of 114th share, to be precise, according to a letter which, fortunately, I believe I have kept, and he actually still had Thorne's letter. I don't know how that managed to be in any shape to even be readable at that point. Must have had deep pockets, and the letter probably was written on something... Better than paper? Better, yeah. Because, yeah, how many... Let's see, he's been in the river, he's been in the stream. Yeah. Everything is... He's gone through everything, basically, uh, at that point, and... So... Anyhow, um... Yeah, he had his old jacket still on him that he wore over his mail. And um, he says, a share in the profits, mind you. I'm aware of that. Personally, I'm only too ready to consider all your claims carefully and deduct what is right from the turtle before putting in my own claim. However, you don't know Thorn Oakenshield as well as I do now. I assure you he is quite ready to sit on a heap of gold and starve as long as you sit here. And Bard's like, well, let him. He's a fool and deserves to starve. If And uh, Bilbo says, you know, see your point of view. The winter is coming on fast. It's going to snow and the supplies are going to be difficult even for the elves. And the Dane and the dwarves of the Iron Hills are approaching too. 500 plus grim dwarves. And they, they didn't know about Dane. So that's like, okay. So these are going to be armed, you know, it's dwarf veterans from the um, 
the dwarf and goblin wars from the past. So 500 plus is a lot different than 13 dwarves. And Bard asks him, why are you telling us this? Are you betraying your friends or are you threatening us? Which I'd say is a pretty fair question there. Um, and Bilbo tells not to be hasty and that he's never met such suspicious folk. And he's trying to avoid trouble for all concerned and he has an offer to make. And he pulls out the Arkenstone and throws away the wrapping. And even the Elven King is impressed by this, even though he's used to seeing things of wonder and beauty. And Bard is marveling at it in silence. And here it is described as if a globe had been filled with moonlight and hung before them in a net woven of the clint of frosty stars. Yeah, I'll say it again. The movie version does not do it justice. Um. Anyhow, Bilbo goes on to say, This is the Arkenstone of Thrain, the heart of the mountain, and it's also the heart of Thorin. He values it above a river of gold. I give it to you. It will aid you in your bargaining. Then Bilbo, not without a shudder, not without a glance of longing, handed the marvelous stone to Bard, and he held it in his hand as though dazed. But how is it yours to give, he asked at last with an effort. Oh, well, said the hobbit uncomfortably. It isn't exactly, but, well, I'm willing to let it stand against all my claim. Don't you know? I may be a burglar, or so they say. Personally, I never really felt like one, but I am an honest one. I, I hope. hope more or less. Anyway, I'm going back now, and the dwarves can do what they like to me. I hope you will find it useful. And the elven king looked at Bilbo with new wonder, and he said, Bilbo Baggins, you are more worthy to wear the armor of elf princes than many that have looked more comely in it, but I wonder if Thorn Orkenshield will see it so. I have more knowledge of dwarves in general than you have, perhaps. I advise you to remain with us, and here you shall be honored and thrice welcome. Thank you very much, I am sure, said Bilbo with a bow, but I don't think I ought to leave my friends like this after all we've gone through together, and I promise to wake old Bomber at midnight, too. Really, I must be going, and quickly. Nothing they could say would stop him, so an escort was provided for him, and he went both, and as he went, both the king and bard saluted him with honor. As they passed through the camp, an old man wrapped in a dark cloak rose from a tent door where he was sitting and came towards them. Um, and um, this old man was actually Gandalf. Um, and he said, well done, Mr. Baggins, clapped Bilbo on the back and said, there's always more about you than anyone expects. And this is the first time Bilbo was really delighted in a long time. And he immediately wants to ask questions to Gandalf. And um, Gandalf says, you know, all in good time, things are drawing towards the end now. Unless I am mistaken, there is an unpleasant time just in front of you, but keep your heart up. You may come through all right. There is news brewing that even the ravens have not heard. Good night. Oh, that's... As to me that Gandalf knows either he's gotten either he has some means of knowing the future in some level because of what he is or he's gotten news from somewhere that the others haven't I'm, I'm sure it's probably a little of both but uh, Bilbo you know, was puzzled, but cheered, and he had to hurry on. He gets back up the rope, wakes Bomber, um, goes off somewhere to sleep himself, and he dreams of uh, eggs and bacon. What a wonderful way to end the chapter. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh, that part where 
The Elven King offers to let him stay. Frankly, that would have been the safe option for Bilbo, but not the honorable one, so to speak. That really would be deserting his friends. And and Bilbo was willing to face the consequences for his actions, and, you know, he knew that, you know, Thorin, if they actually did barter with uh, the Arkenstone, Thorin's going to know that somehow the Arkenstone left the mountain, or maybe hadn't been in the mountain all along, you know, maybe somebody had had it in their possession, but Thorin assumed the Arkenstone was in the mountain, and rightly so, and that, you know, he's going to find out if there is bartering that uh, that Arkenstone got out of the mountain somehow. But we'll come to that soon. Um, yeah, we've still got three more chapters left of The Hobbit. We'll probably... I don't know. Are we going to do them in uh, one podcast or two? Depends on how long you want to run it. It's, um, it's, it would be either one regular podcast and a really short one or one extra long one. So we haven't decided yet. Um, and I can't promise exactly when it's going to start, but... Um, when we're done with the Hobbit, we'll uh, we will at some point be doing Lord of the Rings, which is going to be a much bigger um, undertaking. Um, whole trilogy is doorstopper sized book, but you know. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast, and uh, have a great day. Have a great day.